Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. If you have your phone with you this morning, we're gonna, every once in a while we text in and we get a little interaction going. Um, if you're new to us, we'll tell you exactly how that works. Um, grab your phone and you'll get to join the conversation and be able to express some of your thoughts and vote on a couple of things as we go forward. Um, it's all anonymous, so we're not collecting your information or making you divulge, <laughs> oh, that's what Sally thinks, nothing like that. So this is how that works. To the phone number 22333, you text the word New Hope, all one word, and um, you'll get a confirmation. You're part of the conversation, and through your text messaging app, you'll be able to connect. Or you can pull up your mobile web browser and go to pollev.com forward slash New Hope and be able to join the conversation. So, uh, yeah, nice to uh, experience the leaves coming down. I was out with my blower this last week, feeling very powerful, and then the wind came and said, watch me now, you know, I'm just like, okay, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, are you into the, the conversation, a few of you? You're getting confirmations? Okay, we can, we can do some voting. Yeah, okay, so what did you do with the extra hour last night? More sleep, got up earlier, and some of you, oh, there was an extra hour? <laughs> yeah, I'm <be> curious. <laughs> this is so funny. Some of you sleep. I like this time of the year because I like to get up early, and now I can get up even earlier because what was early yesterday is even earlier today, and so I have lots of morning, and some of you are wondering what that's like, and Keep following Jesus, and he'll show you he's up early in the morning, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Next question. Let's see. How long have you been a Christian? A, I don't think I am a Christian. B, 10 years or more. C, less than five years. D, less than one year. Yeah, well... We'll kind of see where we're at with, with the room. Kind of interesting to get a feel for what is in the room. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a lot of people that have been at this for a while. A few people that have less than five years and some less than a year. And can we say welcome to some of these who are... And we really hope that we are a place where you can find your way forward. Yeah. Okay, let's, uh, this one, you get to share a word or two. Imagine yourself sharing your faith with a pre-Christian, somebody that's not yet a Christian. What do you feel in a word or two? There's no right or wrong, we're just curious and kind of starting our conversation around sharing our story. What do you see, excited, underwhelming, yeah? Anxious, yeah, I think that's common. Nervous. Freedom from chains, we want to share that with them, yeah. Ah, that you're forgiven, okay. Sadness, hmm. Hope, trust, yeah. Somewhat nervous, yeah, I think so. I think that's, yeah, common. Feel grace, okay. Encouraged, mm hmm, mm hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Those are um, some words you can probably identify with some of the others that are up here. You're wanting people to feel joyful and freedom or excited. Okay, final question. 
What keeps you from sharing your faith? I don't want to make others uncomfortable. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't want to be rejected. Or my faith shouldn't be, quote unquote, pushed on them. Again, not looking for right or wrong answers, but um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of... Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for your honesty. Variety of opinions. I think we can identify with this faith and spirituality. What is that phrase? Don't talk about politics or religion at the dinner table? Something like that? I don't know. Um, don't want to make others uncomfortable. I don't know the Bible well enough. Yeah, several in here feel like I don't know if I can articulate what God's word says. I, I'm not like Pastor Chris who stands up there and seems to know what he's talking about. Uh, yeah. Was it the seems to know? Is that what? Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm even funny when I don't mean to be funny. I don't, I don't want to be rejected. Oh, we can, yes, that feeling of, I don't want this to be a divide. And then my faith shouldn't be pushed on them. I think that's a common feeling within our culture. Um, kind of, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. And so it keeps us thinking that we shouldn't, the word, the evil word is proselytize. Yeah. Well, Interesting. I hope that you go away this morning with maybe a, an, a bit more of confidence. As Chris said, your story is actually the most powerful thing for others to know about Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We have been in a series for the last couple of months um, that is called The Seven Rhythms of the Christian Life. And we are discovering these seven rhythms that help to shape us and form us into Jesus. It's all based out of John 15. Jesus talks about this elsewhere in other ways, but we're really pausing in these few verses to consider what Jesus says. The last week of his life, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, Jesus says, remain connected to me and I in them, you'll produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we're taking the words of Jesus very seriously. He rose from the dead, so we figure he has authority to <laughs> speak into our lives. And he says, you got to stay connected to me or you won't produce fruit. And so we're asking the question and attempting to answer the question through this series, how do we stay connected viscerally in body, in our real lives? to Jesus, not just in our heads or with ideas or believing the right things, but what are the things that keep us um, in Jesus? And these seven rhythms are key cornerstones for the Christian life. And today we'll be telling your story, sharing your story, being on mission with Jesus through your story. And this shapes us, this forms us. We'll talk about in a little while how actually telling our story helps us to know the story of our lives. If you want to know your story, you tell your story. If you want to know what God is up to, you tell what God has been up to. And so this shapes us. Each week we're talking uh, through this um, sentence. Let's read this together. What we do forms what we love, and what we love forms who we are 
And who we are forms cravings for what we do, which forms what we love, which forms who we are, which forms what we crave. So if we want to change ourselves, we begin with what we're doing. Because what we do, we ultimately love. And then that forms who we are. And who we are forms cravings for what we do. So this is a way of considering how we actually form and transform and learn. Not just in our heads, but our actions. And so today, sharing our story, our testimony. Hmm. Telling others what Jesus has done for us. And when we do, we draw others into relationship with Jesus. So the sixth rhythm. So we're always telling our stories, by the way. Or identifying with others who have... um, told our story. Uh, I was uh, reminded of the 1990s. There were some musical artists who really articulated the, the story, the felt story of a whole generation, Radiohead, singing, I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> this is church, well, yeah, yeah. I don't belong here. And then Beck followed it up with, yeah, oh, you want to, <laughs> and Beck followed it up with, how did it go? Uh, I'm a loser, baby, so why don't you kill me? I mean, it was really awful. But we resonated as a culture with that because that feels like it's our story. It feels like, yes, I resonate with that. As Radiohead is singing about the girl that he'll never get, I'm a weirdo. I just don't belong here. They told the story for us and we sang it and bought the albums because that was what was felt. A whole generation that felt lost. But our real story is so much better of a story. It's a story of lost sons and daughters being found. It's a story of those who were spiritually blinded now seeing. Yes, I know. Yes. I can wind up right away or we can gradually get into it. Either way is fine with me. So much better story. As we think about our stories this morning, I hope that you... discover that you can share your faith through your story. And as Christians, those who are following Christ, we have a responsibility to know our story and then to share with others. Because you'll find that Jesus has this amazing way of throwing you into the path of others who need to hear your story. Well, James K.A. Smith records the following in his book, You are what you love, the spiritual power of habit. I've referenced that book a couple of times. And he is recounting the USS Jeanette in 1878 that launched out on an expedition to explore the North Pole. And uh, it was captained, the ship, by Lieutenant George DeLong. And he writes this, it's another cautionary tale about the hazards of misorientation, not because of a faulty compass, but because of a mistaken map. 
So listen to what happened. DeLong's entire expedition rested on a picture of the then unknown North Pole laid out in ultimately diluted or wrong maps that were drawn by Dr. August Heinrich Peterman. Peterman's maps suggested that at the North Pole, there was a thermometric gateway where (laughs) an opening through the whole ice of the North Pole and where there would be basically like balmy temperatures at the North Pole, at the top of the North Pole. We know this now to be false. Um, It would open up into a vast polar sea on top of the world, a fair weather passage beyond all the ice. And DeLong's entire expedition was staked on these maps. But he turned out, but it turned out (laughs) that he was wrong, right? He was heading into a world that did not exist. This is what Smith writes. As perilous ice quickly surrounded the ship, the team had to shed its organizing ideas in all of their unfounded romance and to replace them with a reckoning of the way the Arctic truly is. And then he writes, he says, our culture often sells us faulty, fantastical maps of the good life that paint luring pictures, pictures that draw us toward them. And all too often, we stake the expedition of our lives on them, setting sail toward them with every sheet hoisted. And we do so without thinking about it because these maps work out in our imagination, not our intellect. It's not until we're shipwrecked that we realize we trusted faulty maps. Hmm. Today, as we talk about telling our story, we'll talk about how telling our story is about finding the right map, Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So let's be people who are determined to lovingly help people to know they're going the wrong way. And we have a video clip next year. Can we get to make sure the sound is on for that? Yeah. We want to make sure that we lovingly tell people they're going the right way. I'm not even going to set this up anymore because it's just, it's just too fun. <laughs> okay. Joker wants to race. Race? That's ridiculous. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down! You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. <laughs> what a moron. They're going in the wrong direction. You're going to kill somebody. You're going the wrong way! What? Why? 
let's, let's be people who lovingly help others to know you're going the wrong way. But when we, we have a story to tell about that, about how our map was off too, that is an entry point in somebody else's life for them to be able to understand it. It is high stakes, but we can accomplish this in love and grace through your story. So we've all sailed the ship of our own lives according to faulty maps that promise destinations that aren't real, promise hopes that have not been fulfilled. Our story comes down into two parts. You can just know this is the two parts of your story. Where are you shipwrecked? Because all of us have. There's a one person in here that hasn't lived according to a faulty map and encountered what that is really like. Navigating a world that existed in our minds, but it's not in actuality. And secondly, how God has rescued us and is showing us the real map of the world. His kingdom, kinged, I made up a verb, kinged by his son, King Jesus. That's our story. I shipwrecked. That's what I believed was true. And now I see what is real. So I want to talk through, there's a handout that you were given, and on the front there's some blanks that you can fill in. I've called this the Isles of Destruction and Disappointment. <laughs> to become familiar with these wonderful images that are in our mind about what life is all about, and then ultimately how we trusted those things, and they ultimately fail us, because it's not real, even as vivid as it seems in our imaginations. So here's some ideas. Your story could be different. You can do the, the work in your own mind to be able to comprehend what it is that you have believed. The, the first one that I said, the island of self-worship which is a common belief in our culture that says, I am the most important thing as an individual, and self-worship can come out in all sorts of ways. It's living life for me, myself, and I. If I just look this way, if I just can come off this way, if I get connected to the right people, there's all sorts of ways this can come out, but it's the island of self-worship, which ends up, as we get to it, being a harbor with shipwrecks. <laughs> Not even a harbor, I guess. <laughs> harbor would keep the shipwrecks from happening. Yeah. It's just like, oh man, this is actually not fulfilling at all. I think it was the lead singer of Nine Inch Nails we saw last week um, in a documentary, and he is selling all these albums, and he's famous. He's on MTV hundreds of times a week, and he said, I thought I would feel peace at the end of that, and I didn't. Fame is an aspect of self-worship. Or it could be another one that I thought of, the island of comparison. See this rampant within our culture. Whether it's keeping up with the Joneses, which is kind of an outdated phrase, or it's um, living our lives, seeing what other people have, and once I surpass them, or I'm better than them. Competition, which is rife within our culture, um, always winning and having to be the best, you know, is, is so um, common. We don't even see, like, this is a false way of living the world. Whenever you hear people talk about the, the rhetoric of winners and losers, that's out of that comparison false paradigm. 
So there's some people that are riffraff and those of us who are the most important. That is not the language of the kingdom. Somebody say amen. Amen. Another one that I thought of, the island of success. Ah, as, as soon as I'm a successful parent, it's good to be a successful parent, but then I will have peace and harmony, and so I will live my whole life trying to be a successful parent, and in the meantime, go spiritually bankrupt because I have not invested into that at all. If you want to be a successful parent, invest spiritually, and let that be the foundation of you being a successful parent. Abel's, I love it. Rocking baby, rocking by baby, saying amen in the back. That is a picture that you should capture. <laughs> That's right. Good job, Abel. Next possibility in the island of money. Money is worship. We talked about the God of mammon last week in our culture. We all tend to think, you know, what's it like? Money doesn't buy happiness, but I'd like to try. <laughs> yeah, we all think that if I had more money, I would be more content. But last week we shared that statistic or I don't remember when we shared this. Oh, there was a study put out by Forbes. People who had $5 million or more and 60% of them still worried about money. Yeah, money is, it's an illusion and that it will bring contentment to you. And the final one that that I thought up, and again, you can fill these in, the island of religion. And this is what I mean by that. If I finally start looking good in front of all these other people and maybe impress God a little bit, token put in my thing, you know, then I'll, then, then that, that's enough. And once I kind of get my kids to behave when they come to church or something, I don't know what it is, you know, we look good, look good, pastor's impressed with me. I'm always kind of, I'm reminded of the false paradigm that some people carry. People think they, you know, they're out to impress me. Don't impress me, impress God. And he's probably not impressed by things he thinks he's impressed by. Anyway, that's religion. When we live by the false maps, these aisles of destruction, disappointment, we're living by the maps of the devil and his kingdom. And essentially, we live as blinded. Thank God he hasn't left us there. Thank God he hasn't left us there. You're discovering that. You're here. You're living that out, you're learning, you're reorienting your life according to this true map about what is real. And maybe you're starting to discover, like me and many others, there's a lot of myths that we buy into all the time about what life is all about. And the kingdom comes and destroys those, and then there's great relief on the other side because, oh my goodness, this is living. This is living. So Jesus came to show us said, I have come that they might have life and have it in the full. That's what Jesus said in John 10. Okay, so today we're going to look at Mark chapter 10, and we're going to walk through the story of blind man Bartimaeus, who is healed by Jesus. And uh, we'll talk about the context first, just immediately before Jesus is teaching his disciples that they should be humble with each other. Because here's what has happened just before in Mark chapter 10. James and John have come to Jesus, and they're like, um, can we have a private conversation, Jesus? Because we need to know, do we get to sit at the places of honor next to you in heaven? Because we're kind of a big deal. I don't know if you know that. And Jesus lovingly, but very specifically and directly, corrects their mindset. This is what Jesus says, or some of what he says in, in response. 
He says, but among you it will be different. The rulers of this world, they lord it over each other and it's all about, you know, clamoring for position and status and getting the head seat at the table. And Jesus said, but among you it will be different. Uh, Do you hear that, Christian? Among you it will be different. Not just a little bit, but a lot of it. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Notice the black and white, the dichotomy he's painting. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, that's him referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life away as a ransom for many. So the context of the account of blind man Bartimaeus being healed is humility. And I think that is key for us as we think about sharing our story. That should frame our storytelling too. That each of us are saved by grace. And each of us, the closer we get to Jesus, the more accustomed we become to stooping and serving others, not lording something over them. We don't tell our stories as experts, but we tell our stories as learners and apprentices of the way of grace. And this is really key for us because we don't have to have it over people in order for them to be able to connect with your story. You don't have to be the expert. You're not creating a pyramid scheme where you're the one that is the expert and everybody else is like underneath you. That's not what you're creating. You get to come in humility. It is just by God's grace. Okay, so we'll read this account. We'll make some observations and come to a close here in just a few moments. Here it is, Mark 10, blind man, Bartimaeus. Then they reached Jericho. This is Mark recording this for us. It's likely that Peter was the one that informed Mark. This is probably through Peter's eyes. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? My rabbi, Rabboni, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see. And then he followed Jesus down the road. Hmm. Who needs Jesus? The blind, spiritually blind. Those who recognize their need for God, who recognize their brokenness. That's all of us, by the way. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Those who recognize, I have a deficit. I've shipwrecked. So let's make some observations about our story and Bartimaeus' story here, and then think about telling our story. Okay, so first of all, the first few verses we'll look at Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. 
When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So why did Bartimaeus shout out for Jesus? I would say because he had heard from somebody that Jesus carried good news. He had heard that from somewhere. It had gotten around. It even gotten around to the disabled and those who were not able to engage with the, the, the regular rhythms of the social life. He had heard that Jesus was full of good news. I would like to suggest that our culture has forgotten that there is good news. And it can feel like people don't want to hear that somehow the gospels become irrelevant. But I would suggest to you, people are looking for answers. Their islands of brokenness and disappointment are real too. They have experienced, oh my gosh, I thought this is what life was all about, but ultimately there's emptiness here and your story can be what brings them to the real map of the world so that they can see what is really going on. You carry the good news of Jesus. In your story, embedded and threaded into you is the story of Jesus. In our rooted reading this last week, there's a, an account of Angela Jamin? Jamin? <laughs> I like Jamin. <laughs> Jamin, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she's a contributor for the Huffington Post, which is a very interesting magazine. And she describes herself as not being a Christian. She said it's ludicrous to believe. Listen how she describes her doubt about believing in Jesus. This is how she describes it. She said, anyone who would believe in some all-powerful man who watches every, little sing every single thing a person does, telling us to love each other while letting whole nations suffer from starvation and genocide, is out of their mind. That's what she described about herself. But then it all changed. It all changed for her. In 2014, she wrote... Just, I'm going to read her writing, and she's going to say a bad word in here, but I'm going to read it because she said it. <laughs> okay, so. She said, just over two years ago, I picked up a free Bible. I had read it before, but this time almost instantly in a wave of emotions and realizations and revelations and a wide variety of indescribable, indescribable sensations, I became a Christian. It happened. It was not deliberate, and it was not a choice. It was what I thought never happened to anyone. It was what I had been so sure did not exist in any of the way of those nut jobs described it. And here she says, she goes, but I'll be damned, pun intended, if it didn't happen to me. I got saved. In an article that she wrote to her non-Christian friends, helping them to understand why Christians are always inviting them to church, she says this, that's what they want for you. That's what, that's what the person that has sent you countless emails and texts about next Sunday or called you every Saturday night asking to pick you up in the morning wants for you. Every card from your grandma with Bible passages written on it means she wants this for you. 
Every flyer from your neighbor or old high school friend about another church event means they want this for you. Every invitation to church is, and I love you, and I want this indescribable love, peace, and joy for you because I genuinely care about you. Aren't you glad that somebody gave Angela Jaman <laughs> a Bible? Somebody who's willing to share and be vulnerable and be persistent about it. She was blind and she didn't even know it. And then somebody showed her the map. You see, God writes our stories. He's writing your story. He's redeeming you and creating a story within you because there are a lot of spiritually blind people out there that need the message of Jesus. Maybe with different words or maybe with no words at all, they are crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This life is not working. And in our culture, when we all close our doors and our garage door comes down and we go inside our house and we medicate ourselves with binging on Netflix, it can be unseen, but there's spiritual apathy and disappointment all over around us. Next, your next door neighbor needs to hear your story of Jesus coming to save you because God has redemption and hope for you and them together. Had to pause and work out my sentence structure. I don't know. Hmm. The story goes on. <laughs> Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder. I like his persistence. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, Cheer up. Come on, he's calling you. The people saying, shut up, this reminds me of people in our culture that think they know the will of God. They think that they know what is going on. Political pundits talk as if they hold the keys to the universe and know what is going on. Have you noticed there's an air of authority and arrogance around our political system that suggests this is what is really going on? The elections this Tuesday or whenever they are, are somewhat important, but elections do not determine the will of God. Amen and amen and amen. God determines the will of God as expressed in his son, Jesus Christ. The light of the world is inside of you, ready to come out via your story so that other people can realize, oh yeah, the political system is broken. My hope was never there anyway. The enemy of your soul wants you to sit down and shut up. The enemy of your soul wants to shame and silence the lost and broken and blind into oblivion. He wants them to sit down and know their place. That's what's happening here. Hey, hey Bartimaeus. Hmm. But Jesus has put Satan in his place. I want to remind you of this. Scripture says that Satan is the God of this age. That he has authority to, to deceive. That's his only authority. Just like he came in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say he's still sinister and his ploys are still coming out? He's still weaving those false imaginations and dreams about what life is all about. But this is what Jesus has done. The cross was step one. Satan maybe thought he had won. I don't know how that all works theologically. The resurrection was step two. 
his outpouring of the Holy Spirit, empowering everyday believers like you and I to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with his love and his grace, anointed to stand before kings and authorities and speak the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ is step three. But step four is coming to remind you of the destination of Satan and all of his lies. Revelation 20 and verse 10 says this, then the devil who had deceived them had what? deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Our king of kings wins at the end. Satan is defeated, is being defeated by the testimony of us, the saints of God, and will ultimately be totally and forever and ever defeated. And all those false dreams and vision about what life is all about will be seen for what they are, lies. And your story helps people to see I'm living a false reality. But here, Jesus hears the cries, no matter the shouts. And he stops and he invites blind people closer and says, tell them to come close. James tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus says, come closer. Bartimaeus, come closer so you can hear more clearly. Closer because you've heard of me. I'm an idea in your mind, but let me stop being an idea and let me show you my love. Closer, Bartimaeus, I want you to smell that the love of God is flesh and blood. Closer so your hands can reach out and touch me and make an impression upon your blind mind about what my face is like, closer than you've been to anyone, closer because you've been an outcast, but you're about ready to receive a new identity. Come closer to me, Bartimaeus. You've been blinded, but soon you will see. Come as close as you can and receive your life. Come closer. Jesus says, and Jesus has the same heart for every person that is around you, the person that sits in your cubicle that you're regularly annoyed with. Jesus has the same picture for the person that is in your household, that is your son or your daughter, and there's tension and there's friction in your relationship. Jesus has the same heart for you who are next door in an apartment complex, and those neighbors, they bother you and they're always partying. He's put you closer because your story draws people closer to Jesus. Your story puts flesh on the Son of God. Your story makes people smell God. It smells like warm cookies coming next door to express love even if they've been total jerks to you. Your story brings people closer. Your story makes people have to touch the love of God. They have to reckon with it. They have to figure it out because you are bringing your love. Your story makes people think, hey, me too. I was living a broken life. I've been living that. You too. Your story brings that to life. Your story brings hope. You've been blinded, but soon you will be able to see because we have the real map. We have the real directions. Your story can bring that to people, bringing people closer to Jesus. And when you tell your story, you will know your story. There's a phrase used among teachers, if you want to know something, teach something. If you want to know your story and to see more clearly what God has been up to in your life, tell your story and you'll see and you'll make connections even as you're telling it. Oh my goodness, God was so faithful. I never connected that when so-and-so invited me over to their place, 
that was the connection that got me into church. Oh my goodness, God, you have been faithful. Because Jesus hears, and he's placing people in others' lives so they can get closer. And this is what happened. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumped up. He came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? I love Jesus, the gentleman. We might say, isn't it obvious? He's blind, Jesus. (laughs) But he respects where they're at. He respects where Bartimaeus is at. And Bartimaeus is able to, in return, give respect by saying, Rabboni, my rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus said, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Blind Bart found Jesus. He got close. Jesus could smell him, and he could smell Jesus. And Jesus, he doesn't presume. He asks, what is it I can do for you? The man says, I want to see. Your story and mine is one of stumbling around with no good map. That's all of our story. But now, in Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus, we're finding our way forward. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Follow me. I have a path for you. So some thoughts of application that might help you. Consider, what island was your life shipwrecked on? Don't carry that with shame, because all of us can tell a story of that. But just wrestle, because this is your connection point with somebody else. It has broken too. You might think I have it all together, but I don't. I've simply been forgiven. Identify, when did you turn towards the true way? Could be very recent. There's some of us in here, less than a year. Could be a long time ago. Connect with that and be able to articulate. Number three, who are your neighbors? Who are the people, what I mean by that is God has put in proximity. Could be your literal neighbors. Likely is for many people. Also could be the people that you just find yourself spending a lot of time with. And then lastly, for practice, <laughs> tell your story to a friend. And practice telling that story. For those of you in her, who are in Rooted, you're getting lots of practice with this. Every person in Rooted tells their story to the group. And also this week in Rooted, are being challenged to go out and share their faith, their story with someone else. But you won't do it until you practice it. Hmm. Well, what would it be like to move forward Without shame or bondage, these strongholds, these shipwrecks in our life, to not feel the shame of that, but to recognize the healing. It's scary because we're still out on the water, but we are being moved ultimately by Jesus. The real map, the real map is our hope. Getting to know that real map of Jesus and his kingdom And we find that by continuing to persistently follow after him. That is 
the hope. And imagine a whole community of people, a whole community that are regularly sharing that gentle story of invitation to the blind people around us. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. I don't have it all figured out, but I've got a way better map than the bill of goods that the world and the enemy sold me. Well, we're going to receive communion together this morning as we do every month together. And as we receive communion, we're identifying with what Jesus has done, that work of Jesus demolishing the strongholds the enemy had by going to the cross to give his body and his blood over as a ransom, as a sacrifice for our sin. So the way it works here is if you trust in Jesus, you're welcome to participate. You don't have to be a member or anything like that. You'll come up and receive your bread and the juice. Take it back to your seat with you, and Tony and the team will be leading us in a song, and you can partake of that whenever you'd like. Two weeks from today, there's a Foursquare. We're a Foursquare church, Hispanic church that is going to be joining us for the service. You're going to hear some Spanish on that day with some translation. If you're a Spanish speaker and know somebody, there's going to be some interpretive devices that we'll have for a few people to be able to receive all of the English in their native language. And then we'll receive communion together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Join together. And Freddie Martinez, a Spanish-speaking pastor who immigrated from Mexico 14 years ago, to be a missionary to this region, he's going to lead us in communion on that day. It'll be really powerful. It's part of our story that is emerging here at New Hope. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited for that. So let's do this. Let's stand together. Let's pray together. And then you'll receive communion while Tony and the team lead us forward. Father, Son, And Holy Spirit, thank you for a better map, a better story. Thank you for your grace for each of us. I pray that you would help us as we move forward. As we receive of communion, let us be right-sized in our expectations again. It's your humility, your service that paved the way for us to be humble and serving to those around us, to be humble as we share our stories, not as experts, but as fellow partakers and recipients of grace and grace alone. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Make your way to the front during the next song and uh, Antonio will wrap us up here.